All right, so Colossians chapter 1, and um, I have the privilege this morning of introducing a guest preacher, a guest speaker. Uh, we've said at Solus from day one that as a church, we've used this phrase, as, as, as a church, we want to be the kind of people that are based on the preaching of God's word and not the preacher of God's word. We want to be based on the message, not the mailman. We want to be based on what God wants to say to us, not so much who he's saying it through. Um, so as a church, we, we want to be based on the preaching of God's word. And one way that we could do that is Andrew doesn't always need to preach. Um, God has called me to bear primar- the, the primary load of expounding the word of God here at the church, but it's, it's good. It is good for me not to, uh, from time to time, to take a rest and to give a chance for some other anointed, gifted, godly men in our church to proclaim the word of God to us. Um, so this morning, uh, before I invite them up, I want to kind of give a little, uh, a, little, a little backdrop here about Kyle. A lot of you guys know Kyle. Uh, Kyle, now, right now you're going, which one, okay? Um, there's something about our church. People say to us, you know, what, so who is your church, like, reaching out to? What, what, what kind of demographic are you attracting? And my answer lately has been Kyle's. <laughs> we got a thing with Kyle's. What's your demographic? The Kyle demographic. We have, like, th- we had, uh, Kyle Fogel just moved away, but we, at one point we had, like, three Kyle's in our small group. But um, this Kyle specifically, one of the many Kyle's that the Lord has brought here, Um, Well, I just want to read a verse to you about this, Kyle. It says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. About 12 years ago or so, um, I was steeped in my rebellion and rejection of a relationship with God. I wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity for that matter. And um, despite the relentless pursuit of God in my life for so long of calling me to himself, um, there was this stubbornness in my heart to surrender my life to Jesus because what it meant for me to give my life to Jesus would Well, it meant that I had to give up a lot of other things in my life. Not because, like, Jesus was lacking something and he needed those things. But how many of you guys know this? When when God calls us to surrender things in our lives, it's not because he has to have it because he needs it, but because he can't have us. He can't truly have us unless we surrender some of those things. Because most of the time, he can't have us because those things have us. And so there was things in my life that had me, uh, that were, were, were tying me down. And God was calling me to surrender those things, and I knew that. That's what it meant to have a relationship with God, because he could never have my life once I surrendered. And, and one of those things, one of the main areas of my life that was so tough for me to let go of and move away from was my friend group. I had a friend group that in so many ways not only was influencing my decisions and the direction of my life, but in a lot, large part, we all know this, right? Your friends, in, in, in large part, your community defines, in a, in a lot of ways, your identity. You get who you are a lot, a lot around who you're a part of and who you're with. And, and um, I remember, like, it was clear as day with that invitation that I had felt God had put on my life for so long. God had always given me a vision of what life with him was going to look like. And um, God spoke this to me. I remember at 17 years old, I had this impression on my heart as I was steeped in partying and drugs and running from God. I had this impression, even at that age, even, I don't know how God could speak to such a wicked heart. 
Um, but somehow his voice got through, and I had this impression that God had a, had a call for my life. Uh, he had a wife for me, and that he had true friends, true friends, not just friends. Now, it says here, friends love at all times. Hey, love you, man. Oh, I liked your photo. Hey, love, kindness, surface, le- right? Surface level, love you, love you. Okay, bro. Hey, would you do this for me? Yeah, I'll do it for you. Okay. But then the author says, but a brother is born for the day of adversity. What, what I found was not that God wanted to get my friends out of my life to get me, give me more friends, but God had a better idea of friendship in mind for me. So when I surrendered my friends to him and I said, Lord, I see how this is tough, and so I got to stop hanging out with these people. What the Lord had for me was not friends, but brothers. He had brothers that would be by my side when my mom passed away. He had brothers by my, that would be by my side when I was being an idiot when I, yesterday, when I'm an idiot, right? Um, he had brothers by my side that would be in my wedding and be, be a part of my wedding party. And there's one brother specifically that God has put into my life and has not removed. You know, you have some friends that are there for seasons. Um, they say that there's friends for seasons, there's friends for reasons, and there's some friends that are there for a lifetime. And Kyle is that brother that God has placed in my life that, that sticks closer than a biological brother. Um, and so I wanted him to come up here to, today to, to preach with you, not only because he's gifted and anointed and called, and he's got a passion for Jesus and his word, and, and God's going to do something cool today, not only because of that, but because I wanted you to know, too, that you know, as your pastor, I have account, first of all, I have an accountability partner, which is good to know. Um, I'm not an isolated, uh, I'm not the head of this church, I'm a body part. Jesus is the head of this church, and there is no ministry that I could ever offer or counsel that I could ever offer that I realize that I myself don't desperately need. And so a great example of that that I just wanted you to know is that I have a guy like Kyle in my life that's asking me the hard questions, that knows the dark spaces of my life, and, and uh, you know, if we get to know you, I'll share a little bit of it with you. you know, I know you want to know all the details right now, but if you go to him, he'll tell you, but... Um, but he's just been a brother that God has provided in my life in such a special way, and um, just so thankful for him. And, uh, you know, Solus Church, before it was Solus Church, uh, it was a text message from Kyle six years ago that said, hey, Andrew, do you feel like God's put something on your heart, like a step of faith or something? This was the week that I was praying about a call to plant a church. And so Kyle's been there from the beginning, and I'm never going to let him leave, so he'll be here till the end. Uh, would you give a warm welcome to Kyle and Bimbo as he comes to share the word? <laughs> Good morning. Um, I don't even honestly remember that text message, so, you know, God uses you even when you don't even know it. But um, like Andrew said, um, it kind of works both ways, and I encourage you, um, you know, guys, if you don't have that brother in your life, so I start praying for one, um, because I know Andrew's spoken so many times into my life and just has seen things um, that I didn't see. And, and it's great to hear it from people around you who love you. And, you know, my wife will encourage me or my mom or, you know, my sister or my dad or whoever. Um, but when it comes from someone outside, you know, that has just kind of come into your life that you know God has brought in to kind of speak into them what he is using you for. Um, it's just been a wonderful blessing. And, and ladies, the same thing for you. If you don't have that sister in the faith who is encouraging you, I totally um, encourage you with that to begin praying for one. And that's exactly what I did. And um, the Lord brought me Andrew, and that was a cool, cool thing. So very thankful to be here with you guys. 
today. Um, some of you know me, some of you don't, and that's okay, because um, it's not necessarily about me. But I love the book of Colossians. It's actually one of my most favorite books. Um, so it's cool to be able to um, get to do this and share this with you. Um, Colossians is one of those books for me personally that I kind of go back to over and over again because I just always remember, like, I love it. Um, I never really remember a lot about it, except that I always know that whenever I go back to it, it always blesses me and reminds me of something. And it was kind of funny because I know Andrew's talked a lot about we're kind of taking the scenic route through this book. And, you know, when you're driving down the Amalfi Coast, you're just kind of, you're there and you're just driving along and you're just enjoying it because you're looking at the experience, you're going through this experience and you're seeing the beauty of God's creation. And you might take a picture and you might take that picture and you take it home. And when you look at the picture to remember it, it's like, oh, that doesn't really do it justice. You know, you, you have the memory but you know that the picture just doesn't measure up. And it's like every time, it's kind of like what Colossians is to me. It's like I kind of have that picture. I remember that it blesses me and it really speaks to me and encourages me. But it's not until I go back and go back in it, just like if you go back and, and you go back in that drive to the Amalfi Coast, that you begin to experience it again and that you get to bask in the richness of what it is. And, you know, we know that the word says in the book of Hebrews that God's word is living and it's powerful. And I think that that's what it does for me. And so I'm excited to get to be here uh, with you for that. And so let me just pray and then we'll get started. So, Father, I thank you, oh God, for who you are and that you would just give us your word to encourage us, to love us, to remind us, to remember who you are be glorified here in this place, in this time. Jesus, in your name, amen. Um, I'm going to ask, um, the song that we were just singing, I have no part in anything else in the service, but um, it was interesting to me, the songs that <clears throat> we sang this morning, and I asked them to just put one of these lyrics. This is actually a, a song that I really personally love, the, the last song we sang, but I think this kind of embodies what we're going to be talking about today. Um, as we look at it, but it says, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. And I was like, wow, that's just so perfect and so fitting for what Paul is going to minister and is ministering to the Colossian church and to us here at Solis Church, that there is this confidence in what Christ has done. And I think sometimes I know, I don't think I know this, I fail to remember and I fail to be confident and that's something that I have walked through my entire life, and it's something that I struggle with, inadequacy, all the time, confidence. It's just I'm one of the biggest guys probably around, you know, and easy to spot out, but I just I lack confidence. And it's something that God has been building up in me over the last 38 years of my life. And um, it's something that still, you know, can be a struggle, but it's, it's that remembering that it's the confidence of what Christ has done for me. And I think, I hope that you'll get to see that as we go through in the book of Colossians. So if you would, we're going to look at Colossians 1, and um, we're going to go to 19, uh, we're going to go to 21, and I'm just going to recap real quick the end part of where we were last time, just so that you can see what I'm talking about um, and what the overall understanding, I think, of this passage that I got was it's remember the hope, and that's what I'm going to kind of refer back to here is remember the hope, just like the song, I'm confident of the wounds, I'm confident of what Christ has done. 1 in 21, Paul's writing to the church and he's reminding them, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul has this opportunity to be in prison. He's sitting, he's even supposedly chained to a guard right now in Rome, waiting to speak to Caesar because he's been preaching Christ and people have taken offense to that and so they've arrested him and and he's gone on a journey and he is about ready to come before Caesar and he's sitting in jail. And so, as Andrew was mentioning, Epaphras comes, and Epaphras is concerned for this church in Colossians, and he's like, listen, there's some things that have crept in over here at this church that has begun, and, and I need you to speak to them in it. And so, Paul finds himself in a place of circumstance where he is imprisoned, and he takes that circumstance, and he has the opportunity to write and to write letters. And he actually composes many of his letters that we know as the epistles to the different churches, Ephesians and Colossians and some of the others. And he's writing in this time so that he can encourage the body of Christ then and I think even now today. He says, I have become a minister. I have become a minister. He heard the word of God. How did he get there? What does he remember? Well, if you would, if you would just briefly go to Acts chapter 9, which is to the left, so that we can just take a look at the, for a moment at what was Paul's beginning in his faith. He began later on in life. He began his life, as probably many of you know, as an enemy of Christ, and he was a persecutor. He despised the church. He despised the believers, even so much so that he was passionate to bring them harm and to make them suffer. And so in the verse, in verse uh, chapter 9, <clears throat> in verse 3, as he, Paul, journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him back into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
Paul's beginning in faith is a beginning in suffering, as he said. I now suffer for you. It's a a loss that he has as he's walking. His life is going exactly as he wants it, and he's very successful at it. He, and even at the moment, he had papers from the governor to be able to just take people out and arrest them because they believe in Christ Jesus. And so for him, everything was going well. And then the moment happens, and he's on the road, and everything stops. And his life is taken from him. The life that he knows is taken from him because he meets Jesus. And he meets Jesus there, and in that moment, his sight is taken away. He suffers this loss of being able to see and comprehend and understand anything and everything he's ever known. And for three days, he's without sight. He begins his faith and his journey with Christ in an affliction, in a loss, in a suffering. And I love that he doesn't get really deterred by it. Because, again, he tells the Colossian church, he says, I became a minister by the will of God. Because God gives us a choice, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. He gives us a choice to become what he's asked of us. He gives us a choice to do what he wants to do with us and for us. It wasn't forced upon him. Paul could have gotten angry and shook his fist, and maybe he would have remained blind for the rest of his time, maybe the rest of his life. But he decided, what do you want me to do, Lord? You know, what do you want me to do? And so he says, you're going to go, and I'm going I'm to send someone your way to tell you and see what's going to happen. And so he goes, and, and so he's without, <clears throat> he's without his sight for three days. Um, he's, he's not eating. He's not drinking. And I know when I miss a meal, that feels like suffering all the more for myself, you know, even going two hours. But he goes days, and um, God calls a man named Ananias. And I won't read through all of it, but basically God calls a man named Ananias to go to Paul. And he says, hey, listen, you're going to go. You're going to talk to Paul, and you're going to tell him what I want you to tell him. And, and he said, and he, he's praying. So I love that, the fact that as Paul begins his journey of faith, he finds himself at a loss, but he also finds himself praying. Through his suffering, he's praying. And, and we constantly see that through the epistles. He's constantly telling people, um, you know, hey, are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying? Give thanks. In, in Thessalonians, um, he talks about, you know, give thanks in everything. You know, not because of everything, but in everything. As you go through, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. And I think that's a cool thing here. We see Paul doing that at the first set of his walk in his faith with God. And so the man comes, and, um, and I want you to see this part. So the man comes, and Ananias comes, and, and, and Ananias is afraid because he's heard about Paul, and he knows what Paul will do to believers. And um, so he's trusting God himself. Ananias is trusting the Lord and doing what God has asked him to do. And so um, in verse 13 of chapter 9, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias goes and he does what he's asked to do. And I love how the beginning of Paul's faith in Christ is this understanding of what he will suffer, of what he will lose, of what he will be afflicted with. 
and he's already experiencing that. And I think we, I know for me, I am terrified of suffering. You know, I think it's just something that we don't want in our life because we try to live as most by keeping us from suffering. We want to be comfortable, you know. We have our air conditioning. We have all these wonderful things that make us feel good. We don't have to worry about a lot of things. And we want to not suffer in any way, shape, or form. And, and even the other night um, at a, over by our house, for some reason, the power went out about 2 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, just within that hour, you know, it just starts to get hot in your house. And it's, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. You're like, I got to go to work soon. I can't get back to sleep. And it's just like, you're just like, oh, this is so annoying. And this is like, you know, you're suffering for a minute. And then it goes back on, and you're like, okay, everything's all good. But Paul had this understanding that in his walk with Christ, that he was going to suffer many things for the name of Jesus. And he didn't shy away. He didn't turn around. He's like, all right. I don't know if, if when I began in my understanding of who Christ was, I, I would like to say that I would have been a man who would say, yeah, show me what, what's going to happen to me in my life and how I'm going to suffer and the things that I'll lose and, and, and all of the difficulties that I'm going to go through. Would I have said yes? But I love his heart here, and I love that he says yes. And, and if you see in verse 19, he says, um, I'm sorry, go back to... Um, Go back to 17. So Ananias went his way. He enters the house. He lays his hands on Paul. He says, Brother Saul, his name hadn't been changed yet, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. See, that's that food again. It always helps you out. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. And if you would skip down to verse 23. And now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So here's Paul. In his first time of his faith in Christ Jesus he comes to this place where he goes from being blind to now he's having a sight. He starts to preach and he starts to proclaim the name of Jesus in the synagogues. He's like, people need to know that I was wrong and people need to know that Jesus is the son of God. And so he goes where he knows people are seeking God. He goes to that place of their meeting with God. He goes to the synagogue and he starts to proclaim and tell about who Jesus is. And it's only a few days before people are like, we don't like this guy. He needs to go. He's messing things up. He's on the other side now, and we can see his passion and, and, and his exuberance, and it's causing people to believe in the name of Jesus, and so they decide to plot to kill him. I mean, can you imagine your first couple of weeks as being a Christian if you, when you remember that time, like in the first couple of weeks you've been blind, and then you come, and you start telling people about Jesus and this, this awesome gift that you've been given and this redemption that you have, and they're like, you find out that they've hired a hitman to, to take you out, you know? He's already suffering this, this, he's already starting to experience the things that he will suffer for the name of Jesus. And so I just wanted us to kind of take that back because sometimes we need to know that the life that we're called to is not always comfortable. The life that we're called to in Christ is not always going to be easy. But there is a hope in it. And Paul remembers that hope. So if you would jump back over to, to Colossians for a second. 
Colossians 1. And so he was saying, and the reason I had us read that beginning part was he was saying, hey, listen, guys, you were once alienated. You were enemies of God, but know that because of who Christ is, you are no longer that. He even says to themselves, if you continue on in that hope, if you continue on steadfast and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel of which I became a minister, Paul is able to walk through his suffering in his faith because he remembers the hope of Jesus. He's remembering that wonderful hope of Jesus. Four years before, Paul had an opportunity to kind of share with the, um, the Corinthian church at a time in which they were having some difficulties. And up until that point, he had had a lot of sufferings. And here were some of his sufferings that he has endured in his faith with Jesus. In um, 2 Corinthians, he wrote to that church and spoke to that church that he had received 39 lashes five different times. He was beaten with rods three different times. He was stoned once. Three different times he was shipwrecked. He said that he's had countless dangers in the midst of robbers amongst the sea, even around his own people, obviously people who are already trying to kill him. He has been wearied. He has toiled. He's been sleepless. He's been cold, hungry, and naked. And all of these things he counted as a loss. It's like it doesn't, those things don't matter. Even getting to his prison even getting to his jail cell in Rome, he was shipwrecked again. He even says, he said, um, on the Adriatic Sea, we were up and down for 14 days. I was in a storm once on a cruise ship like when I was a little kid, and I just remember the ship going back and forth and back and forth, and it was like, bleh. Things were flying over the edge. It was like that bad. I don't even know why they even took us out there, but it was one of those like day cruise things, and it was just an awful experience. So I can't imagine 14 days, and they started just like, hey, we need to like save ourselves, and they're throwing everything off, off and overboard. They're not eating. They hadn't eaten for days, and, and so he's on this boat, and then they, they become shipwrecked, all while he's going to just go sit in another jail cell. And so he finally does make his way to Rome, and he's sitting there in jail, and he has the opportunities to encourage the churches, and he has the opportunity to encourage us that when affliction comes and when our circumstances we find ourselves in, how is that a loss? May we be a people who pray, just as Paul was praying when he lost his sight. May we be a people who pray that the circumstance that we're in would not deter us from the hope that we have. And I think that that was what's so interesting about Paul is he was able to always remember that hope. And so if you would go back to 24 in Colossians, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. And so he's, he's at that place in his life where he's like, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I have that hope. I'm going to rejoice in this because I know that my God is greater. And he says, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. And so Paul is saying, and, and this has been one of those verses where at first I, I actually remember I just had gone through the book of Colossians on my own, and it was like one of those verses I'm like, what does that even mean? Like he's filling up what's lacking, and it's like kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'll have to look into that one day. And then Andrew um, you know, gave me this opportunity to teach, and he's like, hey, I want you to teach on this, on this passage. And I was like, oh, that's so funny, you know, because I didn't take the time to go back and say, hey, what does this mean? And it's kind of one of those verses where you read it, and it just is kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, so you just kind of move on. But um, the idea here is that Paul is not making a concession for something that Christ did not do. 
He's not trying to go back and fill up in himself with, that something was lacking in what Christ did on the cross for us because that would not be in accordance with God's word because we know that Jesus, in the book of John, he said, um, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, he said to his disciples, he said, listen, my peace I give to you. In this life, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have sorrow. It's like, but I have overcome the world. I love that passage because Jesus has already done everything. I've already overcome it. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But it was like because he stands outside, because God is eternal and doesn't exist within a time frame, that which needed to be done was already done. And it was already overcome. And so everything, just like it was said at the cross, he said, it is finished. Nothing needs to be added. So what is Paul saying when he's saying, I fill up in my afflictions what is lacking? The understanding is that just as Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you too. Because there is no servant who is above his master. And that's what Paul understood. Paul understood. He says, I am a minister of the gospel. I am a minister of Christ Jesus. That word minister meaning I'm a servant. I am here to do the will of someone else. I'm here to do the will of my God. And so he said, I'm willing to endure the persecution. I'm willing to endure the affliction. Because Jesus knew that there would come. Because the world hated him. And the world hates any who follow after him. Even today we see this persecution um, that is occurring around the world. And even I think last year um, a, a ministry called Open Door Ministries who serves the persecuted. Um, they just came out with um, the 2017 statistics. And, and this was one of uh, three consecutive years in which persecution has increased globally for those who call Christ their Lord and their Savior. And there are over 50 countries out of the 100, almost 200 countries in the world. So about one quarter of the world, okay, 215 or so million people suffer affliction and loss. They suffer for the name of Jesus. And it could be being outcast from their family. It could be um, being displaced from their village. It could be um, violence, death even. Um, I, it was even as I was just reading, there was a pastor in India who just last week, he lost his life. He was murdered because he went into a village and was, was praying and preaching and speaking the word of truth to people, and, and they murdered him, and they killed him because it's so hostile. And so these afflictions are still being carried out today. They're being carried out, and because, <clears throat> because we are the body of Christ, because we are the body of Christ, we have a part in that. We get to bear what is happening in, in his afflictions. And so Paul understood that, and he said, hey, listen, but it's okay because I'm doing this for your sake. Because he knew in, on the Damascus Road that God was calling him to be a light to kings and to the Gentiles and even to his own people, the Jewish people. And that's what he's saying here. Hey, listen, I gladly suffer. I gladly endure these things for you. I gladly do these things because that is the will of my God, and I am chosen to serve him. And so if you would go back to, with me to 25. And so he says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, 
the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's taking an opportunity here in, in to speak to the church because as Epaphras had come, Epaphras had brought up some things that had crept into the church. One of the things was, as Andrew mentioned a few weeks ago, is that they were, there were some who were beginning to speak that Christ was not God. And if you go back to the first chapter, uh, the beginning chapters that we have already looked at, as Andrew even talked about, is that Paul was reminding them and ministering to them about who Christ was in his deity and that he was before all things and in him were all things. And now what he's doing here when he's talking about, hey, listen, God has revealed the mystery that was of long ago now. He's addressing another issue that has come up in between, into the Colossian church. This, this idea that there was a secret, that it wasn't just about Jesus, but rather there was this secret thing that needed to happen. You had to have secret knowledge in order to truly be saved. And this secret knowledge was causing division, and obviously because it was incorrect theology, it was causing others to stray <clears throat> from what was true. And so Paul is reminding them, and he's saying, hey, listen, to you it has been revealed. To us, to the saints, it has been revealed, the mystery of God. Even a couple of sentences before, he says, the gospel has gone out and been preached to every creature under heaven. That there is no excuse the psalmist David said in Psalm 19, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork. He's saying God's creation speaks of who he is, and now we also know. The book of Hebrews says that he's spoken to us through his son, through Jesus. And so he was reminding of that. Don't stray from the hope. Don't stray. Remember the hope. Remember what has brought you to the place that you're in. Remember that it is God alone who has called you just as he has called Paul, just as he has called me, that he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I think that's what's so neat about Paul when he became blind. He couldn't see. And then when he received his sight, what that must have been like, as just a, a very definitive line in his life where it said, wow, I was blind, truly blind, but now I truly see. And he was walking in that hope. And so he was reminding them, hey, listen, understand, you have the mystery revealed. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to proclaim it. Don't hide it as a secret. Look at me. I'm suffering. I am in chains because I've been proclaiming it. I've been telling people about Jesus. Don't be afraid in my suffering. He goes on in verse 27. He says, he said, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I love the hope of glory. The hope of glory. And I know for me, I struggle with the hope of glory. I'm one of those people that it's just constantly at my mind. I'm always looking at me, looking at me, look at who I am, and trying to be good enough and trying to figure out how to be the best man that I can be at the extent that that becomes what I am instead of remembering the hope of glory. Because what brought me to Christ, what even brought Paul to Christ was that Jesus spoke. 
He spoke to you. He spoke to me. And he speaks his love over us. He speaks his peace. He speaks his mercy. He speaks his grace that he gives to us so that we can become children of God. The desire, the idea of, of hoping in glory, that, desi- that, that word hope, um, probably many of you know that word hope means confident. He's confident of glory. And I think that that's one of the reasons I struggle with it, because like I told you before, I struggle with confidence at times. It's being assured of who I know, which is why in that song, listen, I know his hands. I'm confident of what he did. And I think it's a beautiful and wonderful thing that as I've gone on this journey, um, I know for me personally that that is one of the things that God has brought me back to time and time and time again. That he is my hope. It's not about what I could do, what I could earn, you know, the things that I could have or be established as, any titles or anything like that. But rather it is just the fact that God so loved me that he sent his son for me that he showed and he demonstrated that even when I was a sinner, that he sent his son to die for me so that I could have a hope. And so he's saying hope of glory. What is glory? Um, you know, it's one of those words we don't use a lot. Or we, we, you know, I think a lot of times I know for me, glory is one of those things where we think like the big celebration after the big game, you know, the team has won the, the state championship or the, you know, the national and they're celebrating and, and everything is good. But there's this understanding that the word glory and what it means is, is it has a couple different meanings, but it, it talks of splendor and a brightness. And, and I think it's interesting, too, the, the, the man who wrote that book, he was talking in Exodus, about Exodus, and I actually had that referenced here. When Moses says, show me your glory, God's like, sorry, I can't. You'll die. You know? It's like God is so glorious. He is so splendorous. He is so bright that he can't show his glory because Moses will die. And so he tells Moses, okay, I'll let you see but you can't see my face. And so he hides him into a rock and he passes by him and he declares himself to Moses, which is the passage that they, that man was talking about, the author was talking about. And he declares who he is and Moses is allowed to see his back. That was as much glory as Moses could handle, you know? <laughs> and the idea that when Jesus went up on the, on the mountain and he took Peter, James, and John and he was transfigured and he was allowed to, to basically show the the trueness of who he was embodied in the fullness that God is in him. And he was transfigured before them. The accounts in, in Mark and Luke talk about how Jesus became a shining example. His clothes became so white, it was like snow. They became so white that in one of the passages it says that whiter than any launderer could ever whiten it. You know, it was just like a white beyond all things. His face, it said, was shining like the sun. There's something about God's glory, about the hope of glory, that there is this brightness and there is this splendorousness to it that goes beyond, I think, whatever I can understand. And to be able to be confident, to be able to one day see that, I think that that's what... Paul is saying here, remember the hope, remember the splendor, remember the brightness, remember the word glory can also mean this exalted state, the the opportunity to be not what you once were, but to be in the fullness of what God is bringing you into, bringing you into his presence. The book of Psalms says that in in, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. 
And so one day, because of the hope of glory, we will have the opportunity as Christians, as those who believe in Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, we will have the opportunity to be in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. And I think that's what Paul already knew. Because he didn't matter what his circumstance was. It didn't matter that he was sitting in a, in a I was going to say a hotel room. He wasn't doing that. He was sitting in a jail cell, and he was cuffed, and he's writing this letter, and it's like, it's okay, because I know the hope that I have. One day, I am going to be in God's presence, in the fullness of joy. So I'm going to rejoice even now. I'm going to rejoice in this because I know of what the joy is to come. Jesus even told his disciples when he was trying to encourage them because he's going away, he, he mentions to them and he says um, that before he gives them his peace, he's like, listen, when a woman is going to give birth, you know, she's pregnant and she's going to give birth. Like she knows she's going to go through a hard time, but all of that is forgotten when it's done. All of it's forgotten because she's brought forth this little baby. So all of the suffering that she endured is laid aside because there is this joy of this gift of life that God has given. And that's for us, that idea, that understanding that whatever it is that we come against, whatever it is that maybe you have come against, whatever it is that our brothers and sisters around the world come against in their persecutions and their afflictions, we hold fast because we remember the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We remember that this is not the end, but it is only the beginning that we have the opportunity to be with him and that we get to see him. And so Paul has this opportunity as he says, hey, listen, because of this hope of glory, be reminded of that, um, Colossians, be reminded of that soulless church, that you have a hope of glory. And it says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. The beauty, and I, I didn't even know the difference between preaching and teaching, honestly, until I had just looked it up. But um, the idea was him we preach. That word preaching, he's talking about proclaiming, making it public and making it known. Well, what are the things that Paul is proclaiming about Jesus? Well, when he first gets saved, he goes in the synagogue. He says, listen, Jesus is the son of God. What are those things that we get to proclaim, or actually, what are some things I'd like to share with you that were proclaimed about Christ in his word? Some of the things that have been proclaimed about Christ in the book of Isaiah, when the prophet speaks about the Messiah to come, in chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are things that were proclaimed about Jesus before he even came. Mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. Peter, when asked by Jesus, he says, who do men say that I am? They give him some answers, and then he says, who do you say that I am, Peter? And by the revelation of God the Father, Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The angel, when he spoke to Joseph concerning Mary and her being pregnant, he said, you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Even God the Father on the transfiguration, he said, this is my son in whom, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And lastly, one of the things that Jesus himself proclaimed 
was that he is the I am. It was that direct understanding that he is God, that he and the Father are one, and he has come to be our hope before God. And so as Paul understood this, he would proclaim these things about who Christ was. He would proclaim them to warn everyone, hey, what's your hope? What are you hoping in? To the Jew and their law, to the Colossians and some of their, their beginnings of straying from the hope of the gospel. To me, what are some of those things that I sometimes stray in and, and, and look to to be self-righteous in my own right? To never lose sight of the hope of glory, the hope that it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so he is proclaiming these things, he's preaching these things, he's warning these things, and he's teaching every man in all wisdom. It's a beautiful thing because the God's word says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Wisdom, he is the intelligence of God. He is the intelligence, um, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says like he, it, wisdom is an intelligence, but with a just and right action. And that is so true of who Jesus is. He is God's wisdom. He is God's reconciliation for us. He is the justice that is met at the cross. He is the justice for our sin. Just as he reminded the Colossians back when we first read it, he's saying, hey, listen, you were alienated, you were enemies, but Christ has redeemed you. Don't forget that. He's teaching them about who Jesus is. He's teaching them that it is only Christ and Christ alone. That is the wisdom that we have to hold on to. That's the wisdom that we need to, to, to hold fast to. And so lastly, um, he says that we're, we're teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And at first when I read this, I was like, oh, man, I, I definitely know I'm not perfect, you know. And at first I kind of realized that I was reading it, that he's, he's presenting every man to Christ Jesus. But the reality is that it is in Christ Jesus that we are perfected. We get to stand in Jesus. And because we are standing in Jesus, we are perfect as he is perfect. In Hebrews chapter 12, um, in chapter 12 and verse 2, Jesus has said that we, we are to look unto Jesus who um, is the author and finisher of our faith. And that word author, I'm sorry, that word finisher also can be translated the perfecter of our faith. It was through what Jesus did, his suffering, his affliction, the accomplishment that he did on the cross when he rose from the grave. He became perfect for us. And so in him, in Christ, we get to be perfect. Um, and as I just kind of labor this last little point, um, I'll just invite the worship team up as we look at this last line in verse 28. Paul says, listen, to this end I also labor, striving, in a, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I love that Paul, again, just goes back to who Christ is in him. He's always remembering the hope that he has. He's always remembering that it's, it's not him. But he says, listen, I'm serving God. I'm serving at the will of my Savior. And I'm serving him in his working, which he's doing mightily through me. He just continually says, I can't do this on my own. I know it's not about me. I know I can't sit here in this jail and, and be joyful 
if it's not for him working in me. And so I don't know the situation that you're in. I don't know your life, I, you know. But I know that Christ has come so that you would have peace because he tells us that. He's come so that you would know that all things have been overcome. He's come so that you would know that you are a child of the most high God if you believe in him. He's come to give you a hope and a confidence. He's come to give me that. And that's one of those things that I have to remember always over and over and over again. Be confident in what I know. Be confident in who Jesus is for me. That I am made perfect in him because of him and not of my own. And so I hope that encourages you this morning as I just pray for you as we pray to honor God. Would you just stand with me and as we'll get ready to close in a second. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son to us, to me. Thank you for the gift of your word that speaks to us life, that speaks to us hope that this is just a moment and that one day we will be in glory where you are, worshiping you in all the fullness of who you are and that joy so abundant would be in us. But I pray that even as we walk through this life now, Lord, teach us. Teach us to be filled with joy. Even on Monday mornings when we have to go to work or even when we have to face that difficult situation, God, or that diagnosis, Lord, of cancer or whatever might befall us, whatever difficulty in this life that will come, may we know that we can be joyful because we remember the hope of our Savior. And so thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.